Okay, so you, have you guys ever had like a big idea? Like this idea, this is something you want to go do, okay? And uh, maybe it's like, it's an idea of what you want to study. Maybe it's an idea of where you want to live or a job you want to have. Maybe it's an idea of a business you want to start. Uh, for me, I've, I've always been trying to think of different ideas for a business. Have you guys, anybody ever do this as well? Like you think of different business ideas, right? And so you get this big idea. Can I tell you one of mine? Okay, this is TM. If you ever try this, I will hunt you down, all right? TM means trademark, all right? All right, so that said, here's this, here's this like idea I've had for a while. Um, like I love food, all right? I love food. And I love certain kinds of foods. And sometimes it's like in Ratatouille, you know what I mean? He's eating a piece of cheese and then a piece of strawberry, and they're both great, but then when he eats them together, like, okay? So here's this idea I've had. You ready? You ready? Fried chicken and donuts. Who's in? You're in right now, right? Okay, so here's this idea. Like, who all loves fried chicken? Absolutely you do. And then donuts. Come on. Like, nothing more American than, like, a, a, a fatty donut. All right, so donuts are fantastic. And, and we've had kind of these different, like, iterations over time. You know, like, there was, like, fried chicken and cornbread. Ah, it's too dry. You know what I mean? And then fried chicken and biscuits. Ah, it's too boring. Uh, fried chicken and waffles. That's interesting. Okay? And, and then, but then, like, who's really exploring fried chicken and donuts? Not enough people. And so I was like, had this idea, and so it's going to be fried chicken and donuts, but like, I had to come up with a good brand, all right? So, so here's the brand. You ready? Holy Chick. All right? Holy Chick. You'll get it soon enough, hopefully. Hopefully. Like, and the idea is like, you'd have some kind of like, like hipster doofus looking chicken, right? And like, he has like a halo over his head, but it's a donut, Okay, and so the idea is, is, this, is this combination, and, and the desire is that when you finish eating at Holy Chick, you would simply say, Holy Chick, that's good. You know, like, that's, that's it. Like, that's, that's been kind of my, that's been kind of one of these big ideas, okay? So there's these big ideas we have, but then there's like these big moments where something becomes more than just an idea, it becomes a reality. I haven't had the big moment yet to start Holy Chick, all right? If you got 250K, talk to me after. All right, so actually give it to the church. Um, so, um, but like, there are, these, there are these moments we bump into. I, I remember when I was dating Suzanne, and uh, I didn't really know where exactly this was going, and I remember I was like putting together a date for us, and it just hit me as I was trying to plan out this date, like, I said to myself, I love her. And I thought, well, that's a big deal. Because if I love her, that probably means I want to marry her. And okay, well, here we go. And then we got married like a year later, right? It was a, it was a big idea, but there was really this big moment that happened that opened me up to like a bigger reality. I remember um, when Suzanne and I were here in Memphis and we were considering moving to DC to go plant a church. And we all had our name signed to the bottom line, right? Like, here's going to be the deal. You're going to move to this area and do this in the next month. We really thought this was going to happen. And then we sat down together and started trying to say, like, we did, like, these big Post-it notes and said, let's each separately put down the five most important things for us in our lives over the next five years. And then we'll come together and see how they line up. Well, the first thing for both of us um, wasn't planting a church. The first thing for both of us was to, like, get pregnant and have a child. 
Three days after that, I turned down the job to move to D.C., and two weeks later, we were pregnant. Okay? Like there was a big idea, but then it was like this big moment, at least to a big reality. And I think that this is important for us to consider by looking at this text. Because big ideas lead to these bigger realities, right? Like these new ways of thinking lead to bigger ways of living. Now, you can just have an idea, but when you actually have a moment where things open up, it's like a new world starts in the present. It's like something just opens up. It's like the ground opens up, and you're like, wait a second, look at all that. The skies part, and you're thinking, boom, this is, this is a big moment. And you can't manipulate, coerce, or cause those moments to happen. It's just something that kind of happens, and then you're either going to step into it with these big ideas you're taking with you for a bigger reality, or you try to stay away from it. All that to say, I think that's what we're looking at here, especially in this text. This series is called The Resurrection of Jesus. And this season that we're considering here in the church, this Easter tide, is what did it mean for God's followers, for the followers of Jesus, to now have not just big ideas about how the world could look and work, but for the world to open up in new ways, this big moment to happen, and now there's like even a bigger reality they have to step into. And so I want us to consider that this morning. And I want us to consider just a couple of things. What did it mean for them and what it means for us? So what did it mean for them for this big moment to happen? And then in turn, what does it mean for us? First, what does it mean for them? Now to understand this or try to lay the scaffolding for it, build the scaffolding for it, we have to understand what they were expecting. Now, I have a dad joke for you, okay? Jesus' last name was not Christ, okay? There, there's your dad joke, okay? And neither was his middle initial H. Okay, so here's the thing. Jesus was called the Christ, the Christ. And what that simply meant was Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. And this was a really big idea for Jewish people, a really big idea because what they believed is that whoever would be this Messiah one day, that this Messiah would open up a new reality, would open up the minds of this world, and then with that would usher in a new reality. One, one scholar, Dr. Leila Leah Bronner, a Jewish scholar actually, here's how she unpacks this idea of Messiah. In biblical usage, the word Messiah referred to any person charged with the divine office as king or priest who was physically anointed with oil, a symbol of being chosen for a special purpose. The English word Messiah is derived from the Latin and Greek messiahs, ultimately with the source back in the Hebrew messiah, or anointed one. The word messiah was translated into the Greek Septuagint as Christos, okay? So, we have this ancient language in Hebrew, and it's Messiah, and then when it's translated into Greek, it's now Christos. And this word also means anointed. The Hebrew word Messiah was also noted above, was the first applied to the kings of Israel, who were installed in their royal office by a ritual act of investiture. With the symbolic act of anointing, it was believed that God endowed the king with wisdom and strength to fulfill the duties of a royal office. 
The redeeming functions of the anointed one was expressed by the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me as a herald of joy to the humble to bind up the wounded of heart. So a Messiah was actually just a person, a human, who though would step into this office as a king and priest together. A king meaning one who could bring, um, who could bring justice to those they had power over. That's what a good king was meant to do, bring mercy and justice to those he had power over. But also they had this office as like a priest. They had some kind of direct line to God. And that the idea is that if you could find a person who had a direct line to God, but also the power and authority to implement God's ways in this world, you would have someone that could bring the world back to the way it was meant to be with the extent of the influence they had. You had a Messiah. Now, Isaiah was keen on this. Isaiah actually is the most, um, the most copied uh, book in the Old Testament we have, other than particular Psalms. Okay, like it's it's written time and time. We have more manuscripts of Isaiah than any other book, and here's why: because Jewish people looked at the book of Isaiah as a book of hope, a book that said we are in the midst of exile, we are in the midst of indentured servitude, we're slaves, and we're hoping for Messiah to not just have big ideas, but to open up the world in the present and bring a new reality. A couple of text from Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 5 through 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth from the shoot of the stump of Jesse, which is David's son. David was considered the greatest Messiah of their time. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. What insane imagery. Like, what insane imagery. What a big idea. Big idea. But they needed a big moment for that to happen. See, their belief was is that when this Messiah came, that he would be a politically, religiously, and socially active leader. He wouldn't just be interested in someone's hearts being turned back to God, but that their whole lives be conformed in the ways of how the world was meant to work. The world was meant to work in a place where, there, where beauty can thrive, where those who are the lowest can be raised up, where the needs of all can be met, where justice and mercy flows like rivers in abundance to all people. 
This is what they believed a Messiah would actually do to set the world right. And Jesus shows up and starts declaring, I'm him, y'all. Like the one you've been waiting for, I'm him. I'm going to be the one that does all these things. So now we have these big ideas, and they feel like it's starting to like, maybe this big moment's going to happen with Jesus. Like maybe the world's opening up, and maybe all things that were wrong will be made right. And then Jesus goes and gets himself killed. All these dreams crash. All these big ideas shattered. And for three days, those closest to him, those who were the most bought in, are left wondering, was this just one more big idea, one more good business idea, one more good way to go about things, but honestly, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And this is where we get to in this text, because, see, after three days, these Jesus sightings start. And people were going like, hey, I, I think I saw Jesus. And someone else is like, no, you, you see, he's, he's dead. No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure I saw him, like, at the corner the other day. Like, he was just kind of hanging out. He was talking to people. No, he's dead. Like, that doesn't happen. Okay, I'm just telling you, I think I saw him. And, and so all these Jesus sightings are starting up because the disciples think about it. Have you ever had, like, hope deferred? Actually, in one of the wisdoms, it says, in, in, in Scripture, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you ever had, like, your dreams, this big idea is going to happen, and then it crashes, and you're like, I'm not doing that again. You know, fool me once, that's on me. Fool me twice, like you all, right? So... We have here, it says in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I'm sorry, but if someone's been dead and all of a sudden we're in a room hanging out, you know, just catching up on the day, and then some dude appears out of nowhere, the last thing I'm going to have is peace, right? I go, no, that's not peaceful. That's the last thing it is. It's scary and it's weird. So Jesus appears, and he says, peace be with you? Strange. And so you can only imagine, they're like starting to freak out, like, what is this? No, this can't be true. I'm seeing something. I drank too much wine. Okay, like, let's get away from this. And then he follows up, verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Duh. He said to them, this is weird. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Because you were dead, right? What kind of, Jesus always asks these questions like, why is this bothering you? Man, that's not the thing to ask right now because you were dead, all right? I'm not supposed to be looking at a dead person right now. And so he shows up and he goes, peace be with you. And why are your hearts troubled? Okay. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So here's what we have so far. We have a Jesus that can appear out of nowhere, okay? And then he's also like got flesh and bone to him. So he's like real. Now that doesn't have a category, okay? Christianity is weird. Can we just, sometimes it's just weird. Like sometimes we read, like we read back on this like, oh, that's normal. That's not normal. 
Okay, well, that's easy to believe. No, it's not. That's a weird deal, and it really kind of breaks the brain, okay? And so their brains are broke right now because what we have in this resurrection is a human being who is now alive can somehow not have to open doors but can, like, appear from room to room, and he's like a human, like he's fully there. And the markings of his life are still there. I mean, this is... This is so seismic. This is such a big deal. So many times we have this privilege, we don't, we don't realize as 21st century people that we get 2,000 years worth of these stories being shared over and over. You ever, do you have a grandfather in your life and they're always sharing the same jokes over and over again, right? And you always know like the punchline to the joke, but you also know to kind of go with the joke. Like, I had that, I, I, and I miss it so much. I was telling somebody the other day, I miss my grandfather because he, sold, he told the same jokes all the time, but they were the same jokes all the time. So you know, yeah, resurrection, but there's also like a privilege to that. Like, you almost can lose the, 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 the weightiness, the gravity of something like this. But for these people, it was not lost on them. They were floored and without words. In the message, I love how, he, how, how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, they still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. Too good to be true. And then he asked one of the most basic human questions. I love this. Do you have anything to eat? <laughs> like, I've been gone for a few days lot going on for me, like in hell, trying to take care of some things, setting people free, that kind of thing. Y'all, I'm tired, and I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat right now? And so, like, it says here, I love it. They could have left this out, but I love the detail. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Can you just imagine them? They're like, what do you got? What do you got? Hurry. That he, that what he wants something. Okay, broiled fish. Here you go. He likes broiled fish. He likes it. Okay, broiled fish. Here you go. They give him broiled fish. He starts taking it. He's eating it right there. And then you got to like almost imagine the moment of him doing that. And he's like, y'all, we got this. All right, we, we, this, we got this. This is all going to work out. Don't worry about it. Think about it. They have a dead man who's alive now going through room to room, just appearing, flesh and blood, eating fish, y'all. That's some crazy stuff, all right? The Bible is crazy. But this is what it's saying to us. This resurrected Jesus. They had a big idea of what a Messiah would be. And this big moment happens. And they end up with a bigger reality than what they thought they'd ever have. Like, okay, so what they were expecting was a Messiah who was a human who wouldn't die, at least for a while, to bring, like, mercy and justice, rivers flowing. And what they get instead is a dead dude living again who's got, like, all these kind of powers, who's hungry, so he's human, and he's on their side. Come on now. Like that's, you got to have some confidence with that one, right? I mean, you got to, okay, so, so two things it means for them. One, it's time to start dreaming again. It's time to start dreaming again. 
By having that kind of power on your side, it means you're free to dream because you're going to have to step into something big now. Because when you got a dead man living who can walk through walls, but like is hungry and is human, you got something working for you there. All right. Let's just say that's a good business plan. Okay. So they can start dreaming again. But here's the second thing they realize. They realize something that embedded in all of this is an unshakable sense that we got this. Like whatever it is that we needed to go do and like it crashed and burned, like we got, we got this. You ever have like moments where you're like, I got this. I got this. I don't have enough of those in my life. I wish I had more. Okay. But sometimes you're like, I got this. Don't worry. I got this. Like, how are we going to bring justice to the world? How are we going to see those who are in, in captivity to the Romans? How are we going to see a world set free? How are we going to see the whole purpose of Judaism, of the law, of why God gave it to us? How are we going to see those things happen? And then you have this dead man who's alive again, holes in his wrists and his ankles, but like hungry, you're going, we got this. When I was in sixth grade, uh, there was this guy named Broderick, and Broderick was six inches taller than everybody else, and he had the body of a 25-year-old, largely because Broderick had failed sixth grade like four or five times, okay? That's the biggest reason why. All right. And, and like what I remember about Broderick is he always had a, 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 a fresh pair of J's. That means Jordans. He had a fresh pair of Jordans. Fresh means nice. Anyway, he had nice shoes. So he had good shoes. He could hoop really well. Um, and, um, like he was kind of scary until he was on your team. Okay. Cause like none of us could play basketball unless Broderick was on our team. And if you ended up on Broderick's team, guess what we said? We got this. It's just in the bag. It's going to happen. Broderick, you just kind of do your thing and you, you go, right? If we were playing softball and we got on Broderick's team, yes, we got this. It's just going to happen. Like, you wanted Broderick on your team. Now, if you're keeping count, yes, that means, of my stories, that means, yes, I had two people in sixth grade that were 15 and 16 years old, and I was only on the good side of one of them, okay? Thank you, Amory Public Schools. All right, so... But there was a sense that if Broderick was on your team, like it was all going to work out. They didn't just have an inspiring idea to change the world any longer. They had an inspiring reality that the world has started to change and will continue to change. This is what God's people had. They didn't just have a big idea they now had a bigger reality because a big moment had happened. It had split the world in two. It had opened up something brand new. And now it's a matter of them just stepping into it with confidence and boldness going, we got this. We got a dead man who's living, eating broiled fish right here. What do you got? No, you don't have that? We got this. We got a guy who's like conquered sin and death on our side here, and he's eating broiled fish, all right? We got this, okay? And this is what they were, like, starting to rumble with. Is this too good to be true? Is this going to be taken from me? What do we do with this big moment? N.T. Wright, in your bulletins, the quote's there. 
He says we could cope. The world could cope with a Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside his disciples' hearts and minds. The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. People who believe in this, like this resurrection and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. They are unstoppably motivated to work for the new world in the present. They realize what they had in Jesus. See, the question has to be this. If, if Christianity is just a, like a hoax, which means just kind of a big idea, like, there's no way it carries for 2,000 years this way. It, it can't just be a big idea. Big ideas like holy chick don't happen, all right? Are you with me? That's never going to happen, all right? Okay, just so we're clear on that. But a dead man, alive again, eating broiled fish, going from room to room and just appearing, like, things happen. People get so inspired that they don't just have a big idea anymore, but that a big moment has opened up in the world, and now they have to step into it to live out a bigger reality. And that's what they have here. This moved them to be unstoppably motivated to work for a new world in the present. So that's what it meant for them. What does it mean for us? Do we only have a big idea? Or do we have a bigger reality? Do you simply have a big idea with Jesus? Like, is he a good idea? Like, I like the idea of Jesus. This is a really good idea. Like, he wants these things in the world. He wants truth and love and justice and mercy, all these things. It's a really good idea. But it's not really a big reality for you yet. I think a lot of us were given really big ideas coming to the world. Your mama and your daddy, your grandparents, your keepers, teachers, somebody gave you like big ideas, maybe a big idea about Jesus, and you're like, oh, I like that idea. And you kind of just take their idea and run with it. But it's never really your reality. You know what I mean when I say that? Like it's someone else's like reality, but not yours, because it's only your idea that you've borrowed from them. Because you, have, you, have, you actually haven't had yet like a, a big moment. You haven't actually had like your minds opened up to it just yet. See, here's how you know if you simply just have a big idea versus a big reality. Do you see all that Jesus taught? Caring for the poor, seeking to make the last first in life, taking on the powers of the world that bring corruption? befriending, seeking to understand, and empowering the marginalized of our society? Do you see all those things, and do you seek to join in on it, of those things Jesus taught? Do you have an anger and a passion for the life and the light of Jesus to be experienced here and now? If you can't say yes to that, all you have is a good idea. A brand. I just gave you a brand. Holy chick. That's a good brand. That could work. It's a good idea. Jesus is a good idea. It's a big idea. 
It's a great idea. But if those things aren't true about your life, all you have is a good idea. All I have is a good idea. I don't have really like a big reality. This is hard to hear. Now, wait a, se- wait a second, Rob. Wait a second. I thought this was a place where you could belong before you believe and where you can just kind of just take your time because I've been kind of messed up and scarred by what I've seen in the church. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. This is a place to belong. And it's a place to know God. And by knowing God, I mean like when you get to know a person you start wanting to either do life with that person or not. If you want to do life with that person, like when I got married and I wanted to like know Suzanne, it was no longer like the Robin show, okay? I, I miss the Robin show. Robin show was awesome. Great. Anyway, it's no longer the Robin show. I love being married. Um, but, it's also, but it's also like the, the, the Robin-Suzanne thing now, right? Like I'm seeking to get to know her and I'm looking to conform to her as much as possible. She's looking to do that with me as much as possible without being codependent, okay? And then in turn, now we start living something new together. When you really want to get to know someone, you start saying, that's important to you? Okay, let me try that out. That's important to you? Okay, let me, let me try that on. That's important to you? Okay, let's walk down that path together. And my fear for us as a church is that we could be so inspired by these big ideas of Jesus, but never really step into the big reality that he's offering us. And I think because, like, it's scary. As exciting as it is to have a dead man who's walking again, who's living again, and eating broiled fish right beside you, that's still a scary thing. Like, if he's going to do that, what else is he going to do? Like, if, if this is how much power he's got, just imagine where it's going to be taking us next. Listen, to walk with Jesus is the most vulnerable, scary thing you'll ever do the rest of your life. Because it no longer means you get to have life on your terms. It means you have to be willing to walk with a dead man who's lifting again, going from room to room like that, eating broiled fish, and like changing the world. It means like you got to go, well, I guess we're going with him. I guess I have to lay this thing down here that's been so important to me so I can enter into this thing here that's really, really real. So then, how do we know him? Well, he actually gives it to us here. Look at verse 45 through 48. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I want to break this down a little bit. First, it says that he opened their minds. This word open is interesting. It it means... um, for something to make sense to you. It also means, this is the word that would be used when the first child who is a boy in a patriarchal society, when you had the first child and it was a boy in a patriarchal society, that's a really big deal. And so it's a word used for that. Like whenever that happened, that means something new was going on. 
something was opening up in the world. Something that wasn't there before is now there. It means there's a crack that's very, very wide. And it says that he opened their minds. I want you to catch this. He opened their minds. They didn't open their mind. He opened it. You are not smart enough, bright enough to figure all this out on your own. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need a big Jesus moment. The kind of moment where he just opens your mind. And that can happen through sitting under the word and all of a sudden it just hits you one day. Oh, wow, that's true. It can happen through relationship with other people. But you can't reason yourself into this because, friends, if you try to reason yourself into this, you will reason yourself out of it. This is not about being reasonable. A dead man living again, walking through walls, eating broiled fish is not reasonable. It's not a reasonable thing. I'll tell you what is reasonable. The things he's about. It's very reasonable. Because what he's about in this world is making wrongs right, what is down up, what is inside now out. That's what he's into. It's the thing that you know in your heart is meant to be true, but you can't make it happen on your own. And here's what I would suggest to you. The cracks for this to happen in life only come in struggle. Their minds could only be opened until Jesus was killed and murdered, raised back to life, and appeared to them in the middle of nowhere. That's called like, like struggle and trauma and tragedy. Oh my God, it's everything. Like it's all these things that we try to avoid in life. What if the thing you're trying to avoid in life, the struggles in life, the pain and sorrow and trauma and hardship, what if those are opportunities for cracks and for things to open up and for like Jesus to finally make sense? It's the first thing we find here. He opened up their minds. It says next that they would proclaim, right, preach this repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, a better translation is repentance through forgiveness of sins, which means forgiveness of sins comes before repentance. So here we have the forgiveness of sins. Now, what does this mean? Forgiveness simply means to be released from something you were imprisoned by. It means that you finally like, I'm free. And here's what sin means. It's, it's the word harmatia. And harmatia means not like you filthy, horrible, ugly little sinner. How dare you do those horrible things in private? You know what I mean? So many times when we say the word sin, that's kind of what we're thinking inside. Like, oh man, sin. Here's what sin means. It means to miss the mark. It means in your imprisonment, to life, to yourself, to the powers that be, you keep missing the mark. It means you keep missing out on the way the world is meant to be. Sin. So your minds open up so that you now could be set free and no longer have to keep missing out on the way, on the, way the world was meant to be. You're freed up. That's really good news. It's called grace. It's called what this table is here. You show up, you rehearse what is true for you, and you get going with your life because you have been freed up to no longer have to keep missing out on life, to keep missing the mark. 
And then we find repentance. Now, this is great. Because so many times repentance, I felt like, was like, God, I promise I'll never do that again. Okay. And you come back next week, and you get saved all over again. God, I promise I'll never do that again. Like, we just kind of go week to week with, like, repentance. Here's what repentance means. It's this word metanoia. It means to change your mind. That's what it means. It means to change your mind. It means to make different decisions. It means to make decisions that are more life-giving than life-taking. It means to be a part of the flow of how God has created this world instead of always trying to get out of it. It means that you actually have a say-so if you want to see life happen in different ways. You don't sit around and go, well, now I'm inspired to go do this and I'll go do that. No. The big moment is that there's been a crack in your head. He's opened it up for you to receive something you couldn't get on your own because you kept missing out on life, and now you can live differently. Repentance. Life change. I love how the message puts it. He goes, a total life change. A total life change. This is what you have at your disposal. Then lastly, what's interesting he says, you'll be my witnesses. And this word witness actually has both like judicial and ethical bearing to it. A witness is someone who would be in a courtroom witnessing things happening, testifying to, yes, that is true. But then also, there means that they're like morally held accountable to what they've seen there. To be a witness is that you are so inspired ethically that you now have to leverage everything you have for that to be the case when you leave that room. You are a witness. By the way, in the Greek, the word witness is the word martyr. So many times we think of a martyr as someone who goes and like dies somewhere. Yeah, it's just not that simple. It means they are so compelled, compelled, convinced and now conform to what they've witnessed, they have to leverage their life at all costs to go be the change that they've experienced themselves. And here's what Jesus is saying. When a moment has come and has split wide open a new reality in the present, what are you going to do? Are you going to walk into it? Are you going to let that big idea now be a bigger reality? Are you going to find that you actually can change because you've experienced grace? And will you go leverage your life at all costs? Because ethically, this is just the way it's supposed to be. Or will you go back to just simply wanting to have a brand, a good idea, and that's a little bit too scary to walk into? To follow Jesus is painful. It costs a lot. It's a vulnerable life. And I would submit to us, even, you know, Christ City, we love taking care of ourselves. That's important. You, you can't love others until you love yourself. It's the Jesus rule. Love God, love others as you love yourself. So it's love God, love you, love others. But I'm going to tell you, it's very easy at times to get so caught up and just want to take care of yourself that you go, well, this is a really safe place to be. And I don't really want to step out and caring for others because, you see, I got so beat up last time. I got so beat down last time. I got all these doubts. I got all these fears. But to follow Jesus means we have to step out and go, I got to take some risks. 
Like I can't hide behind trying to curate and create the right kind of life for me with the right kind of job, with the right kind of pay, and the right amount of kids, and the right house, with the, whatever it may be. Like at some point in time, if that's all you're staying with, what you have is a big idea but not a big reality. So this is where I want to leave us now. And I don't mean this to beat you down. I mean this to somehow like try to build us up. Because this is all of us to some degree. Everybody just rather have a big idea but never act on it. But listen, the world has opened up in new ways now. You got a dead man living, walking through walls, eating fish on your side. So like, what are you going to do? Where is he going? Where are you going to go? And you might find that you'll be like a part of this unstoppable force that's opened up in the midst of the present, this new world here and now. So we're going to take communion. And then if you want to come pray with someone about that, we'll be over here to the side. You can do that. We can pray and talk about that. Or if you just want to sit there after you take communion and just rest with this fact, this conviction that hopefully compels us to go, man, I've just had a big idea but not a big enough reality, and God, I need a big moment from you. I need to experience you. That's an okay thing to pray. But let's now go before the Lord and his table. Pray with me. Father, we find that through Jesus we are confronted with really big things. We are confronted with the ways that we try to maybe hide out and care for ourselves. Maybe thinking that because our dreams have been dashed and life's been difficult, that maybe that's all we had was a big idea. But, but, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we're willing to see it and let it open up our minds, we are flanked face to face with a power so great that's cracked open a new world here in the present and that we can just have the courage we can enter into it. So here's what I pray, that we'd find our courage at this table, that we would find that this is not just a memorial service rehearsing what a good person you were, but this is actually a reality we're interacting with. That as we eat of your body and we drink of your blood, we're reminded that you are with us and you will carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen.